Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello. Welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Liam. Hello, Liam. How are you doing since, since we recorded part two and you're optimistic about the Phillies? Why don't you go fuck yourself there, bud? <laughs> yeah. you're, a fucking, you're a fucking Tigers fan. Let's all settle down. Yeah, yeah. It's because that's why I'm never optimistic. You can't take down what is already as far down as oh, it could I, possibly oh, I go. Could, I could do some real psychic damage to you based on the things I know about you, but I'm not going to because I'm a nice person. Yes, yes, I could. I could make you feel real bad. Uh, I don't need your help with that. Thank you. Uh, it's very handsome. It's very funny because part two uh, at the time of recording is out on Patreon. Um, if you donated to the show, you'd have access to it right now. There, there's the Please sales pitch. Money. Um, but everybody's Buy like, books. Buy our everybody t-shirts. In, the, in, in the comments is like, we're so sorry, Liam, go, go Phillies or whatever. The one person Thank did you. say go Astros. And I assume it's because their parents don't love them. Yeah, that is true. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, all, oh yeah. Ever since, uh, the first two episodes have come out, our German listeners have been messaging, uh, German and Austrian listeners have been messaging us quite a bit. Uh, saying that these fencing clubs that uh, Otto Skorzeny is was a part of are still very much a thing, um, and they are still very much full of right wing psychos. Which is you guys are a bunch of fucking freaks, and I say that as somebody who's got a, you know, what? I'm not even gonna fucking talk about it. It sucks, dude. It fucking sucks here. I don't know. Today is election <laughs> day in the United States. It's November eighth. I uh, all I can say is, uh, I dude, I, I had to like not like. Convincing people to not vote for a Nazi is the worst fucking thing. And I just like, I, I don't know, man. I will piss on your grave, Doug Mastriano. God, that guy's fucking insane. Oh, yeah, bud. Uh, the worst part is, is by the time this episode comes out, we're going to know. Uh, uh, I, I am, I'm not going to say anything because, uh, I, you know, I'm just not going to. Actionable threats, actionable threats, actionable threats. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly actionable threats, but uh, it, I'll, I'll leave it at that, uh, you know, I... I at the gates of hell, when he meets his God, uh, his God will not look kindly upon him. Ah, spoiler. Well, like, here's a plot twist. He's actually a, a full on like Levian Satanist the whole time. So he's like, I'm home, baby. I don't know. Uh, I know that's not what Levian Satanism is about. Leave me alone. Uh, I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> some weird person who's got really into Satanism in high school is like, actually, it's about worshiping yourself. Leave me alone. Um, yeah, go fucking, I don't know, go listen to Ministry about it. Uh, go listen to Burzum and be weird with other weird people. Hey, speaking freaks. of Nazis, Otto Skorzeny, part three. Uh, yeah, I'm, great. And, and here's the good news. He's in prison. Uh, that's where we left off on part two, is uh, Skorzeny turned himself in. Uh, and the, the war is over, and, you know, he, uh, Skorzeny assumed... Uh, Everybody would know who he was, thanks in no small part uh, uh, to uh, Dwight Eisenhower circulating wanting posters with his very easily recognized face on them. Big um, fucked up face, yes. Yeah, it was very fucked up. Uh, but he was wrong. Uh, like he, he assumed that because he was something of a celebrity, he would be treated like you know an officer and a gentleman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, here's the fucking thing with that, right? Uh, eat shit. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, and he also forgot um, something quite important. He was still on the fucking SS. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, hang yeah. them. Hang all of them. Every single last one, please. Uh, and that comes from the Lions Led by Donkeys war crime trial. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't disagree. Uh, but yeah, obviously the U.S., not a huge fan of the SS uh, after the Malmody massacre, which we will talk about at some point on the show especially when we talk about the Battle of the Bulge, uh, whenever we do that. Uh, obviously, the U.S. treated them slightly better than the Soviet Union, and honestly, also slightly better than, uh, than France, because France had them like go waffle-stomp minefields to clear them. Um, but, uh, you know, Eisenhower especially 
kind of sort of accept like, okay, there's a, there's a little bit of controversy here, but there was an order passed after the Malmody massacre where uh, there was effectively a no quarter order uh, in the United States military towards the SS. Like you, you kill them on site. Um, and there is some argument whether or not Eisenhower actually knew about that. Um, I, I don't mind if he did, but let's just say, <laughs> yeah, like I'm not going to hold that against him. Uh, that should have just been standard policy. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of argument of how much he, he knew, but either way he, he turns himself in. He assumes he's going to be treated, um, very, very well. And I mean, to be fair, he is kind of, he's just treated like a POW, which is not good. Um, he, he turns himself in, he's surrounded by soldiers and strip searched at gunpoint. Uh, which I mean, now, he may have been a victim of his own success because remember, like Eisenhower and several other people thought this guy was like effectively the most dangerous man in the world because of propaganda. Sure, uh, right. So they're like they're going to treat him like he might be like his assholes full of dynamite or some shit. Like they 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 have to treat him with like very very carefully, right? Big gloves, yeah, yeah. Um, he's handcuffed and shoved into a prison cell where he's left for hours and hours and hours. Um, and from there, he pretty much realized, well, this is certainly not going as planned. Um, so he scores any, which is he's a master of self-preservation. And he immediately switched into self-preservation mode. Um, he acted like when he went into a room with interrogators, he acted open and sincere, uh, trying to play himself off as like really wanting to help them and tell them everything he knew when in reality he wasn't uh, in like in. Instead, he also realized because he had heard like, oh, no, I'm in the SS. That is bad for me at the moment. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert, not looking good. Uh, yeah, like like you named a criminal organization afterwards and he'd have to deal with that. But like uh, he tried to frame himself not as a, a, a lifelong career Nazi terrorist and hitman, which he was all of those things. Rather, he simply tried to portray himself as an as a, as your normal, I'm I'm just a simple country anti-communist, simple <laughs> country Nazi, right? Yeah, sure. yes. Right. Which, to be fair, I suppose you could add anti-communist to the list of things that he is because he was of that as well. But I don't know. You're leaving Hanging a lot from out. a nice country rope. Yeah, and as we've talked about before, generally when someone labels themselves an anti-communist, it's because they're a fascist. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> especially in 1945. Um, and, and, you know, despite all the other things we're going to talk about, about uh, Americans and other countries kind of sort of turning a blind eye towards Scorzani later, years later down the road, Americans oh, did not hey, believe hey. him at all. Uh, they're like, no, this guy is like, this guy's Otto Scorzani. He's hit, Hitler personally knows him. He's a Nazi. He's not just some like dedicated anti-communist, right? Right. right. This guy's an actual fucking literal Nazi. Died he's in the war right? Nazi. Right. And he would be until the day he died. Like, I, I, I think I said that in part one, but like he was an unrepentant Nazi through and through until he finally shit himself and died. Like that was, he never backed down from that. Um, I mean, granted, there's there's some debate over what exactly he knew in regards to some Nazi things, which is you could copy and paste that to anyone else that wasn't like a Nazi bigwig or or in you know uh, central command or in the government, which he wasn't. But ideologically, he was a fucking Nazi until the day he died. Right, right. So um, eventually, word got out that Skorzeny had been captured, and that got turned into something of a media field day that even the army, in the midst of wartime censorship, really could not control. Soon, stories that Adolf Hitler was still alive and smuggled out of Germany because Skorzeny had rescued him from Berlin uh, became common and widespread, um, as did the supposed plot to kill Eisenhower, which in reality was not part of his plan. That was all invented by... Uh, and by paranoia within like U.S. Central Command, like sure, right, because it does sound like something Scorzeni would set out to do. Uh, right, but all of this didn't really matter. The Scorzeni mythos of him being a crack commando who could do anything, anywhere, to anybody at any time had broken Nazi propaganda containment, and now was mainstream media shit. Though that didn't save him from charges. Um, I'm a species on Earth, baby. Yeah. Uh, like the the Nazi bigwigs, like Scor like all of the people that Scorzeni had glommed onto to further his career, like Carlton Brunner and Schellenberger, and the people we talked about in parts one and two, um, 
they would eventually stand in front of the Nuremberg uh, uh, Tribunal as Category A and B war criminals. Uh, you know, normally the things that ends with them being wind chimes. Um, this stu- this stuff, uh, <laughs> we, we, we love us a good set of Nazi wind chimes. Um, the stuff that the allies are charging Skorzeny with was nothing in comparison because, it, I mean, outside of the stuff he did in Denmark, which they still had not quite pinned on him, he, would, he probably wouldn't have been charged at all. Uh, instead, he stood in front of the U.S. Army Tribunal, which was ironically held at Dachau, uh, which is, yeah. Hey, when you already have a prison built, why not throw the, the, the other people right into the prison that they built? That, you know? that is true. Make them eat shit. I hope my um, ancestors pissed in your mouths. <laughs> now, according to his own notes, uh, Skorzeny's years in detention were terrible, which we could all good. smile oh, and laugh good. about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't fucking care. Good, dude. Yeah, he was shifted around constantly to different prisons without being oh, told. Oh, the thing that pissed him off the most, though, is that the U.S. made sure to use black prison guards around the SS because they knew it pissed the Nazis off. <laughs> Yeah, should have gotten some 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 Ethiopian Jews just to really rub it in. You get a twofer. Uh, they really should have like put out an all call in the ranks for like Jewish soldiers. Like we're looking for you to guard prisoners. Bring the biggest star of David necklace you own. <laughs> if you guys execute prisoners, we will look the other way. <laughs> yeah, like oh, he dropped his rifle. That was an accident. Oh no! Uh, uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, private private Hershowitz. This is the ninth guy you've killed this month. <laughs> Uh, it's like that scene from was it band is it band of brothers where they he takes away all but one bullet and gives him his rifle back so he doesn't kill any more prisoners uh except you just give him a backpack full of ammunition (laughs) just poor private hershowitz out of brooklyn a good jew in service to his country all five foot whatever eight of him one of our very tall <laughs> Jews, of course. Uh, <laughs> loading, just walking around with like an M2, just you know. It, it, it's it, it's a it's a living like the like quipping like a fucking uh, stork <laughs> Try, from to smoke Blitz a cigarette, but both backpacks of ammo are overweighted. He's got to he's got to get another guy to just to, to light his cigarettes for him. I fucking uh. hate Nazis, man. <laughs> now uh another fun part is and i will so uh i, I asked our, our our producer uh tom uh who did this episode be, uh, because nate is on vacation last time to splice in the, the the vomiting scene uh from team america world police and that caught a lot of people off guard which tells me we have a lot of new listeners you must be new around here <laughs> uh, uh but scorzetti was also shitting his brains out uh, in solitary confinement because he had like uh, like n- just terminal dysentery. He could not get rid of it, which again, you know, <laughs> good. Uh, I can't stop pooping from my mouth. Yeah, you're a Nazi. <laughs> That's good. I, I I know we're both against whatever the death penalty sort of with uh, with limitations attached. But yeah, uh, sorry. If you want a fair and nuanced and balanced opinions for me from Nazis, you're not going to fucking get it. Hang them all. <laughs> now yeah. we're in june of 1947 now he has been in prison for about two years uh Why is he's he still been, alive uh, he hasn't even gone to trial uh he, like this is okay. where okay. Uh, this is where he found out he was being charged because he was a you know uh, effectively a celebrity he was marched out in front of cameras uh for like it to have the charges read off and this is the first time he even found out he was being charged with anything. He assumed he was effectively uh, in where he was because he's a high value POW or what. And he, he also so knows that because they haven't gotten around to you yet. Yeah, they have. I mean, there's a lot of serious people they have to get through before they get down to like random SS commanders, the propaganda or no propaganda. Um, and he assumed that he was there because he's a high value POW and because he was a member of the SS, which had been labeled a criminal organization. So he's like, I'll get out eventually. It's whatever. Now he realizes he's facing charges. Um, he assumed that he would be facing charges for the operations in Denmark on account of them being, well, a war crime. However, everyone involved in that case had so far managed to keep their fucking mouth shut and the army had no idea he was connected to it. Oh, wow. Instead, he'd be facing charges from the Battle of the Bulge because his men, not him, were wearing enemy uniforms during sabotage operations. Was That's this it. Operation Ghost, whatever it was called? Ghoul? Uh, grief, I believe it was called. Grief, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which uh, I'm unaware of what it means in German. I assume it means uh, a loved one died and he was going through the stages of grief. Now, um, which well, unfortunately for us to not kill just putting a bullet through his fucking head. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, he Now, during this period, he was accused of taking part in the Malbany massacre of American POWs. Now, this shocked the hell out of Scorzeni, because despite Scorzeni being an unrepentant monster, he never did that. Uh, he was like, whoa, 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 charge me for the crimes that I did. Don't go tack and shit up. Right. You know? No, uh, now, charge him for everything. Just invent shit if you have to. I don't fucking care. I mean, you, through this, you so kind no, of it's see... Not, it's not a miscarriage of justice when we're doing it. It's not a miscarriage of justice when the guy's literally in the SS. Yeah, exactly. uh, like, we, we, we've talked before about how like the, the war crimes trials after World War II were only loosely based in law. Like I'm not saying that like, and you can kind of see through him being tacked on the Malmedy massacre and a few other things, how like low the, the, the clearance of like, let's just charge him with shit and see what happens. Uh, now, one of the easiest ways to get away with anything, of course, is that the not like we've also talked about. Nazis like to keep paperwork, right? Uh, uh, doing it. And like, it was very easy to prove that Scorzeni was nowhere near Malmedy, nor were his men when the, uh, the, the massacre took place. And instead, the guy who pointed at Scorzeni and his commandos was just another Nazi who he, he had a personal problem with and like just snitched on him for no reason. Uh, there was a matter of, there was a matter of poisoned bullets though. Um, now this is, this was bullets tipped with a substance called alkanite, um, which if you shot someone with them on top of, you know, having a gunshot wound, which does, you don't really seem like you need to poison that in my opinion, it's already pretty serious. Uh, but the alkanite would leach into their bloodstream. And if you like shot someone on the leg or whatever, they would eventually die from alkanite poison. Um, now there's no argument that these bullets existed and scores any use them. Uh, and his soldiers carried them. Um, but he explained that away that like the Alkanite bullets were only there to make sure like if they were going to be captured, they could shoot themselves and make sh- damn sure the job was carried through. Right. Uh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Guy, we have cyanide capsules for a reason. Yeah. And they also all had cyanide capsules, um, which to me, wh- why not uh, d- like do the twofer? Take the cyanide bullet, shoot yourself in the face of the poison. Really bullet. make it count. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're deader than fuck. Um, uh, and there's there was like a lot of completely unverifiable stories about like Scorzeni testing these bullets at concentration camps, which honestly, like I said, he's an unrepentant monster, but. There's no evidence he ever went to a concentration camp. He knew about the Holocaust. He was in the fucking SS. But like that wasn't what his job was. There's no reason for him to show up at a concentration camp and start shooting prisoners. Like that was Totenkampfverband's job. They had an entire branch of the military for that. You know? Um, or the, the there's also the order police and the Einsatzgrid, all of these other things that he wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't have done that. Just, there's just no evidence that he did it. That uh, that charge was also eventually dropped. That left. Charge number one, he had ordered his men to wear American military uniforms while firing on American soldiers in violation of the Hague's Convention Article 24 and 23. However, this is where things get kind of lawyery because the Hague Conventions are terribly written and there's no definitions for any of the crimes he's being charged with. Um, Specifically, Article 23 F uh, and B. Now, F prohibits, quote, improper use of a flag of truce, the national flag or military insignia and uniform of the enemy. However, nowhere in the convention does it actually say what exactly the word improper means in this context. And B describes treacherous, uh, treacherous actions, but does not bother to explain what a treacherous action is. So like by letter of the law, it's unenforceable. (laughs) Uh, So they had to prove... Yeah, yeah. They had to prove that he had broken these, despite the fact there was no definition for them. And they used accounts of Germans dressed as Americans shooting actual Americans as evidence of treachery. However, the accounts were made up. I'll say they don't line up with what we know about reality. Like we talked about, the Nazi undercover mission uh, was a giant failure. And most of the shooting was done towards the Nazis after they had surrendered, not from them. Whoops. (laughs) Yep. Look, uh, you fuck around, you'll eventually find out. If if you're walking towards American lines dressed as American and don't speak English, you might get your skull ventilated by some farm kid from Kentucky. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Right. right. (laughs) Now, when it comes. Yeah, you might become a set of like German wind chimes. 
Be grateful we didn't use the fire binds. <laughs> oh, we should have. Uh, one account submitted as evidence for like the for the the the, the prosecution of Scorzeni was written by Scorzeni's men and couldn't be confirmed at all. Uh, the German commando insisted that he shot and killed an American military policeman while undercover after his team was discovered. However, the U.S. didn't even have an MP listed as killed in action on the day that he said this happened, and there was never a body found in the place where he said that he did this. Also, the shooting did not take place behind enemy lines, but rather between Nazi and American lines, an area that could be very uh, rightly considered no man's land. So you could shoot anybody there. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Fog of war and so on. <laughs> yeah. Like, so the evidence that Skorzeny's men committed treachery was kind of like all made up. And I'm not saying that, like, again, Skorzeny, I, I, I need to keep saying this so people don't like Kasabian is trying to whitewash Otto Skorzeny. Obviously, we're fucking not, you dumbass freaks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fuck him. But, like, suck a tailpipe. If you're going to bring a guy to a war crimes trial, Bring shit to convict him. Bring the good Don't shit. Just Bring lie. the good shit, right. Or if you're going to lie, just roll with the lie and hang him. Like, you do it all the time during war crimes trials. Just fucking go for it. Or just take him out back and shoot him. It's still 1947. You could probably get away with that. <laughs> Who cares? They're Nazis. Yeah. Uh, now, like we talked about before, the war crimes trials were not really fair trials at all. They didn't follow any kind of established jurisprudence. The military just made it up as it went along. Like, one of the one of the, the the biggest problems was like how evidence evidence worked, uh, which was effectively you didn't have to establish any kind of chain of custody. Um, you didn't have to uh, like uh, check the evidence to be legit. Your job. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to be a lawyer. Like right. You said you said to be a guy. Uh, like the uh, the American Supreme Court. Fuck all of you. Um, even they considered this to be a little more than a kangaroo court. Um. But like the and again, this is not in defense of Nazis walking from 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 justice. But it is how a guy gets charged for several crimes based on nothing, right. <laughs> like, based on someone just like no, he was totally there. Like oh, all right, get the rope, just get the rope uh, already. What are we doing this for? Yeah. Now the court quickly figured out. Even this fucking court quickly figured out that uh, they actually had zero evidence that Scorzani's men shot anyone while dressed as Americans, meaning. This might be the first time in what I've found in my research uh, in history for incompetence to be a rock solid defense in the face of a war crimes trial, um, because that's what happened. Now, if that wasn't enough, uh, the defense team uh, also point out that the allies had routinely worn German uniforms while undercover. Don't admit to that. Oh, no. Tugging my collar. Uh <laughs> Just lie! They're Nazis! What are they gonna get you for? Perjury? We're making this shit up as we go, dude. Like, just sitting there in my SS uniform as a British commander, like, no, I've never dressed like a German soldier a day before What are you life. fucking talking about? Who gives a shit? We won! <laughs> yeah. And, like, the, this included not just British commandos, uh, but also allied planes had been painted with, like, German uh, paint and, and symbols and stuff to escape being shot down. Uh, there are accounts of American Rangers capturing the town of Aachen while wearing SS uniforms. Um, like, and, and this actually would like the, the, the Aachen raid was, was one of the inspirations for Skorzeny's plan in the first place. So it's like, eh. And to testify for the defense was a top uh, special operations executive or SOE agent, Wing Commander Yeo Thomas. Uh, now, that's his last name, not a first and last name. It's Yeo hyphen Thomas. Uh, uh, he's British. He's like British uh, aristocracy, so they have a ton of weird names attached to one another. Um, who weirdly was allowed to take the stand in defense of Otto Scorsetti. Why? <laughs> Say no. Yeah, just like if you if 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 you are a military officer and one of your agents or soldiers is like. I'm going to go take the defense of a Nazi. Just like, no, the fuck you're not. Sit down. You say, no, you're not. Congratulations. You've earned yourself, I don't know, 500 billion years in military. You're going back to Leavenworth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, he testified quite openly that, yeah, they were very comfortable wearing undercover German uh, uniforms and how, and how often they were uh, ready to, quote, bump off the other guy, meaning that he was a... Uh, openly admitting to war crimes on the stand. Shut the fuck uh, up! <laughs> yeah. Solid lawyering there, guys. Jesus yeah, Christ. Shit. 
Um, like this, I am rubber. Your glue defense worked perfectly as like convicting the Nazis on such a charge. Because uh, remember, these tra- these trials are happening publicly. Like if it happened behind closed doors, I'm sure the British and 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 the all of the um, the judges would have been like, whatever. We don't care. You're guilty. Fuck you. But like it's public, right? So they can't be like you're guilty of war crimes because they've just indicted themselves for war crimes. <laughs> so Jesus fucking wept. Yeah, so they had to just like acquit him, uh, but not before the army prosecutor, I believe his last name was Rosenfeld, uh, dubbed Scorzeni, quote, the most dangerous man in Europe, adding to his mythos a little more. Um, though, I need to point out here, just because he was kept being acquitted of everything, that did not mean Scorzeni was being let out of prison. Because remember, he was still a lifetime member of the fucking SS and was in the automatic arrest category as a member of a criminal organization. So despite beating every charge, like the Teflon Nazi, he was still going right back to prison. Uh, and the, the plan was to hold the entire SS in detainment until they went through the denazification process, which was horribly fla- flawed and didn't work. We go into that a bit more way back during our clean Wehrmacht episode, uh, but go listen to it. In short, it, it didn't work. But it did mean he also had no money because part of being in the assessment, your bank accounts are frozen and shit. Uh, the, the U.S. military officer in charge of Scorzeni's denazification investigation was clearly the dumbest man on earth. Despite having his, all of his career records sitting in front of him, after a short interview with Scorzeni, uh, he decided that this lifelong literal Nazi hitman and terrorist who had helped fascism come to power in Austria from day one was not ideologically driven and was not a committed Nazi. Instead, he wrote down he was simply a, quote, patriotic German, which, in my opinion, if someone says they're a patriotic German, I just assume you're a Nazi. <laughs> I will buy you the rope. <laughs> then I will... Uh, uh, uh. If you have to bleep that, do it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quickly looking for a sound drop, but I don't have one for actionable threats. Oh, good, good. Man, Ross just, just bleeps it. me. Just bleep, bleep it. it. Leave it in and bleep it. Um, but now this is because Scorzeni was being investigated by the CIC, or their, you might know them as their successor agency, the CIA, as an asset. And they couldn't string up an asset. Um, though before anybody jumps yes, in, you can see you can. Yes, you can. Just string them up. Who cares? What What is the point of torture programs if we can't torture Nazis? That's a joke. That's a fucking joke. Don't get mad at me. Because torture programs for torturing people who aren't white, Liam. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody know. knows that. Um, now, the, I should tell you that the CIA actually didn't want anything to do with him. Not because of it, obviously, is because like he was beyond the pale of their ideological purity standards. Sorry, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. He was a loudmouth, a known liar, and oh yeah, a hardcore, unrepentant Nazi, which, again, the CIA is generally okay with that last two part. Out of three. You can only do two out of yeah. three. Yeah, but you can't be a loudmouth and a, lo- a liar. You can be a hardcore Nazi as long as like you keep your fucking mouth shut and do your work as a spy or whatever. But like, you know, you can't be all three of those things. Uh, there, there's also the fact he was facing possible extradition to several countries where he had done operations for more charges, and somewhere he actually hinned. Uh, some of those are namely Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, uh, and, and this would have certainly ended with him being turned into, uh, you know, being connected to Adolf's Bush. Wi-Fi. Yeah, he would just slowly fed feet first into a into Tito's wood chipper. Oh um, my god, we have we have the fire mines again, boys. <laughs> now, the the crimes he was accused of in Czechoslovakia were actually completely made up. He had only been to the country for two days as an entire life and never planned or led an operation there. Instead, it was almost certainly an attempt to get him into the hands of the Soviet Union, who, as you can imagine, really wanted to get their hands on Otto Skorzeny, uh, which is also why Otto Skorzeny made sure to surrender to not the Soviet Union. Like, remember, like after he did a couple month long tour in on the Eastern Front, he may he he probably tried harder at never going back uh, to the Eastern Front than he ever tried on anything else in his life to make sure he never went back. You know, he is not a fan of of the Soviet Union because he knows what happens to him if he goes there. Which, like, you know, not the uh, not a Soviet uh, apologist here, but you know what? Good, give him to the Soviet <laughs> yeah, Union. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any complaints. Whatever, man. Yeah, uh, but they weren't alone. The details from Operation Peter, which is their their terror campaign in Denmark, were slowly coming to light. And Denmark was also on the list of countries wanting to execute Skorzeny, which might be the 
only time in uh, modern history that Denmark would have executed someone. <laughs> They're like, you know what? We'll make an exception. We're going to make it count. We're going to make yeah. it count. Uh, instead, the U.S. made sure they didn't send him anywhere and put him to work in the U.S. Army Historical Society, which, again, you can hear more about in our Clean Wehrmacht episode. He was told to provide the U.S. military with a broad history of his reign on Grand Sasso when he rescued Mussolini. And this is why we get the flowery Scorzeni rules version of that, because he wrote the fucking history, just like the same reason why of Clean Wehrmacht shit blaming the SS for all the crimes of World War II because it was written by Wehrmacht commanders in the U.S. Army Historical Society. Uh, the U.S. Army did not fact-check or, or have any oversight or review process of anything that it published. Uh, so that's how we have the most pro-Scorzeni version that still makes its rounds because Scorzeni wrote it. Um, so, you know, thanks, Army. Um, another reason why the Americans... <laughs> you demoted him twice! <laughs> yeah, I, I should have simply been a Nazi. That would have I would have gotten a, cu- a cushy job of the historical society. Uh, another reason why the Americans wanted to hang on to him was the never-ending conspiracy of a network of rogue Nazi SS commandos still out in the world plotting attacks and maybe even planning to break Scorzini out of jail that he was locked in. Sometimes this is folded into the Werewolf uh, 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 stuff that people think existed. After the Nazis surrendered, that there was these insurgent groups hiding in the forests, well, you know, going to bring the fucking Fourth Reich into power or whatever. Um, and these, those, those guys did exist very li- in a very limited way. Um, but these are, this is completely separate because this is actually real. Um, but the, the, the U.S. military kept being shocked because they, they had Scorzeni over uh, under intense supervision because they were worried that like commandos were going to fucking glide her down from the sky or whatever and rescue him from prison. And they did uncover a prison escape plan, but it was between Otto Scorzeni and the prison barbers. Uh, there, there's no mass commando underground yet, just some dudes that Scorzeni bribed and badly because as soon as they were questioned by prison guards, they, they told them everything. Um, even uh, even when Scorzeni... Fucking everything, dude. Look, man, if, if, if I'm an SS commando and I'm trying to get out of fucking prison, why am I leaning on the barber? Like, it's how you know you're down bad. It's like, right. I, I need the barber to help me out of this one. Like, you're supposed to be the you're most dangerous man fuck. in Europe. Um, now, even when Scorzeni was given temporary parole to visit his family, they sent a, a team to tail him, assuming that he was going to make contact with other commandos, only to discover that he did nothing. He just went out and hung, he just went and hung out with his family. So like, but Scorzeni was doing this on purpose. He knew he was under intense supervision. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the dude, uh, what you said, he's, he's very good at self-preservation, if nothing else. Yeah. However, each time he went to prison for further denazification proceedings, it would take longer and longer. He hadn't been convicted of anything and was only considered a C-class war criminal at best, which meant he wasn't going to be sentenced to prison, probably. He, probably some form of probation where, you know, I don't know, don't be a Nazi for a year. Or Why do we even do the trials? Why? Like... You know, it's just you, you hang remember, them, right? They did crimes against humanity, so you string them up. No, don't bleep that. Leave it in. And remember, this is almost 1950 at this point, so like that urge to prosecute all these people is waning quite quickly. Um, I'll do so, it. Send me back. Time, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I volunteer. Uh, uh, and and while all of this was going on, he was again randomly charged with something. This time, being an Einsatz group and commander, which he wasn't. Uh, Again, not defending him, but just, oh, just facts. Come on, he, was, idiots. <laughs> he was not a death squad commander. Uh, Jesus in, fuck. Instead, the connection was one of the guys who was in his commando unit earlier had been promoted and gone on to command an Einstein's group and squad a few okay, years well, later. So there was, really. you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon death squad situation going on. Um, Why did you not just hang him? That's, that's what you do. You get out of yeah, that, and you say, okay, step like, here, and then you hang him. Like that, again, they, uh, that was tacked onto him. It was, the charges were quickly dropped. And I think Scorzeni Skor- finally realized that like, they're never going to let me out of prison. They're going to keep tacking charges on until something finally sticks. Which is and actually he- kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, own, it is. And it's own dumbass legally. So I was like, listen, well, there's got to be something here. Like, how can this guy just be a commando? He's got to do something fucked up here. And remember, like, they still hadn't tagged Operation Peter on him. So... It's the one thing that they had for sure, but they never tacked it onto him. And it's because Scorzeni was a loudmouth about everything he did and never talked about Denmark because he's not fucking stupid. Um, so he started to realize, like, you know, I might not get executed, but they're gonna they're not gonna rest until they have a solid prison sentence hanging over my head. And I can't stick around for that. 
So it turned out that mass underground network of SS commandos the U.S. was worried about was very, very real. And it was operating within the Dachau prison itself. So many people were double agents within the camp. The head department of censorship was working with Skorzeny undetected for years, sending out letters to waiting commandos, a process that was made very, very easy by the fact that the head of censorship was a German guy and had no non-German supervision. So the, the prison for SS criminals was being ran by Nazis, effectively, or at least Nazi sympathizers, right? So when Skorzeny got word out that, hey, I keep catching more charges, get me the fuck out of here, the local head of censorship got word out to the commandos, and on July 27th, 1948, he did. So he's been in prison for years now, and he's finally like, you know what, I'm done here. Like he, It's, it's very weird, because he seemed completely comfortable riding out the process as legit as possible, and until like it realized that like this process is stupid, I'm going to break out, and then he just broke out. Like He was there. On his own volition. He could have broken out seemingly at any time. (laughs) Uh, You're probably thinking this is some daring, glider-borne, over-the-top assault onto the prison, since those are all things that Skorzeny and his men favored. But uh, instead, it was the most simple, boring, and comically easy prison break we've probably ever talked about on the show. Three SS commandos dressed as American military police simply drove up to the prison, said they were there to transfer transfer Skorzeny somewhere else, and he was turned over to them without any questions being asked. Real Keystone cop shit there, boys. Okay, hold on. There's a little bit more to it. Uh, Now, this went so well, and it was so easy to do, it sparked countless conspiracy theories ever since. Namely, that the uh, CIA helped Skorzeny escape. Now, this gained popularity for the reason that you probably think of since we're talking about Otto Skorzeny. This is what Otto Skorzeny told everybody. But hold on. I actually believe this, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Um, Now, I... As everybody's aware, I generally don't dabble in conspiracy theories on the show, and especially ones that paint the CIA as these like infallible worldwide supervillains, because in reality, they're very fucking stupid most of the time. But namely, the commandos had the exact paperwork needed to transfer Skorzeny to a different prison. Remember, this is 1948. These, the, this isn't uh, like they don't have a state structure to to forge things and and to and to get copies of this paperwork they had to get it from somewhere it could have been counterfeit but the paperwork was convincing enough to fool mps who were guarding auto fucking scorzeni and had almost certainly been warned to look out for forgeries also scorzeni is not a guy that can go undercover remember right, <laughs> remember right. what this guy looks like he's huge and he's has a fucking well-known dueling scar on his face and now he's a celebrity this is not a guy that can go undercover fucking anywhere. Somehow, after escaping prison, he went undetected for two years. Half of that was within the American zone of occupation. Another eight months, he was living openly in fucking Paris. Jesus fucking Christ. The only way this is possible is for someone to be running cover for him. And the only fucking right. possible suspect in that is the CIA. Like, yeah, absolutely. There's no way this happens without the CIA. There's also the small fact that despite being a wanted criminal with warrants throughout Europe and also having broken out of prison, he made his living publishing as an author and journalist with books and articles published in the US, Germany, France, and other places who were all technically supposed to arrest him, but not really. Outstanding work. Now, what comes next for Skorzeny in a long line of things you can call, quote, alleged at best and total bullshit (laughs) at worst? Uh, uh, And sometimes both of those things at the same time, to be fair. For starters, we have to talk about the Korean War. Uh, During the war, Skorzeny was living in Spain because, of course, he was. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It was one of the few places uh, for a long period. And so he wasn't worried about like the Germans or the Americans coming for him. He was worried about the fucking Israelis coming for him. He was on uh, like Simon Wiesenthal's kill list until the day he died. So like, he was living in Franco Spain for protection against the Israelis, not not the World War II allies. Uh, and like you know, he could live in quite comfortably uh, at the behest of the fascist Franco government. He was convinced that the war in Korea was going to spiral into a larger World War III, which fair enough, it almost did. Um, and the Soviets were going to steamroll their way through Europe. Now, despite the fact that, uh, you know, the Nazis are, well, the Nazi government is gone. Remember, he's a hardcore fascist and a, quote unquote anti-communist. So, of course, he stands against the, the, the Soviet Union. So, Skorzeny began working with the Spanish military's general staff to put together an army, dubbed the Carlos V Legion. 
which would be made up around 200,000 German World War II veterans. Somehow, even the Catholic Church was involved in this recruiting drive, including oh, Giovanni Montini, who, if you're Catholic, you probably know better by the name Pope Paul VI. Oh, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we will be doing the Nazi Pope episode, even if I have to go rogue on the stream myself. <laughs> like, nothing really came from this. There's no evidence that these guys are an established legion. However, it was an accepted idea on paper at minimum. Um, and the idea was that this Carlos V Legion was going to go in, into Western Europe and, and fight back the, the Red Tide or whatever. Of course, it didn't happen. Um, there's another episode of Scorzeni's life where he told someone he was offered a large cash payment to fly eight tons of gold to Argentina for Nazi what? bankers, <laughs> which okay. sounds like some Indiana Jones shit. Um, <laughs> there's a good chance this never happened as he is the only source. But what made me really believe this never happened is because the guy was telling the, st- the, the guy that Scorzeni told the story to told him the reason why Scorzeni turned the job down is because he didn't feel like quote, running from justice, despite the fact he had literally just done that and escaped from prison. He just prison did that, like a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, there's several different layers of him doing that. Now, what he was really doing while uh, being in Spain was acting as something of an agent between Franco Spain and the U.S. government. Um, this directly led, in no small part, to the eventual signing of the Pact of Madrid in 1953, uh, normalizing relationships between the two. So that's that's fun. Yeah, he was also heavily involved in German neo-Nazi circles because, of course, he was, which is one of the reasons why when everybody says he's like he was just a commando, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like, he was very e- ideologically driven. Like he yeah, was, he was involved, a fucking Nazi. Yeah, he was involved in Nazi groups uh, from the time he escaped. Well, obviously, he was involved in Nazi groups before he went to prison. That's part of the problem. Um, but he was involved in not like it, it, actively in Nazi groups from the day he escaped prison to the day he fucking died. Like he was politically active in Nazi circles, and uh, and, and something of a uh, a small episode that probably should be more serious than it's generally treated it was the attempted coup in 1953 in the cities of Hamburg and Dusseldorf, um, when a group of neo Nazis attempted to overthrow West Germany's government and replaced it with an outright fascist one. Uh, now Scorzeni wasn't dumb enough to actually be you know shoes on the ground when this was going down because he. I mean, he, again, he's an expert in self-preservation, but a lot of his close associates sure were, uh, and they got wrapped up in when the, the police cracked down on it. So he, he, I mean, he attempted a Nazi coup of West Germany. He was involved heavily in that. Of course. Um, yeah, which oh, I got to lay low except for all the stunts I'm going to pull. Someone pay attention to me. God damn, dude. And and when tra- now he was traveling around making friends with the fascists of the world, like he was good friends with Oswald Mosley. Um, and got he became, shit rocked. Yeah, he uh, he eventually got into the good good field of military contracting because of course he did. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Nazis were in high demand by both powers of the Cold War uh, to hire as military advisors to go help their proxies. You know, um, because wh- you can't send you know uh, an American guy because that that looks bad. You can't send a Russian guy that looks bad. He'll hire a Nazi. <laughs> uh, for, um, for example, yeah, Re- yeah, Reinhard Galen had been working with the CIA for years um, and had been ordered to travel to Egypt, where he'd be working under two different dictators. First, uh, Mohammed Nayoub, and then Gamal Abdel Nasser. Uh, now, uh, Galen's job was, of course, espionage, but also uh, train officers and commandos, uh, as well as several different detachments of Palestinians, including Yasser Arafat, weirdly enough, um, because... Sometimes when you're throwing money and weapons at people uh, to to counter an ideology, you kind of end up training a lot of your enemies sometimes. Whoops. Um, another thing Galen did was help build the dreaded Mukarabat security service, uh, which was modeled on the Gestapo. Uh, and because yeah, he was a Galen was a Gestapo guy. Uh, he was joined in doing so by several other recruited Nazis, including the head of the Gestapo Jewish Affairs in Poland, Leopold Gleim, who uh, Gleim, maybe. <laughs> God. Who had since converted to Islam? Fun fact. What the <laughs> fuck? Okay, sure. <laughs> Why the hell not? Um, Remember that you're... guy who got who who murdered who used to be a neo-Nazi and then he converted to Islam and brutally murdered his former roommates for being Nazis? Yes, I did hear that story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, like, all right, glow up, baby. Like, do what you do. <laughs> uh, 
Normally, when the story is told, Skorzeny is lumped in with this group of noted psychos working for the Egyptian government. But in reality, he had nothing to do with it, though he was in the country at the same time as they were because he had come to Egypt to try to become an arms dealer for Spanish weapons into Egypt. But he had actually failed completely. The local government fucking hated him. Gamal Abdel Nasser wanted nothing to do with him. And he sucked so badly at being an arms dealer, he couldn't even sell a few refurbished World War II machine guns to the Egyptian government on a discount. Amazing. Um, yeah. The reason why Skorzeny couldn't get on the CIA money train in Egypt is pretty simple. Reinhard Galen fucking hated Skorzeny and thought he was an idiot and told the CIA that if he absolutely refused to work with him. Uh, and now, and that's, that's, it's funny coming from someone like Galen. Uh, he was close friends with Adolf Eichmann. He worked with multiple SS war criminals. He was very, very close to some of the worst people of Nazi Germany. But Scorzetti, one bridge too far. <laughs> of course, it's going to have a code, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's almost entirely due to uh, personal politics, like we talked about before, uh, like the politicking, oh, behind, the politicking behind, the, behind closed doors of Nazi Germany was intense. And that's why they fucking hated one another. It had nothing to do with, like, I have standards. Right now, of course not. Um, during this entire time, Scorzetti was now effectively broke. All of his money had been seized due to him still not being declared denazified. And being a writer and an author doesn't pay a lot. Trust me on that one. Uh, his job in Egypt ended with him not, being, not only being able to sell, sell a single goddamn gun to the government, but he'd actually bought those guns on credit. So he was now in debt. <laughs> um, however... That eventually changed through hustling the greater European fascist intelligence networks, uh, as well as contacts in Spain, where he ended up having a legit job selling steel contracts for the Spanish government uh, with like German intermediaries. Now, of course, th even this is nefarious. He did this by being a go-between for previous Nazi pro war profiteering companies like Krupp Steel. Uh, and you know it was his job to sell Nazi steel, now a reformed Nazi steel, to places like Argentina and Spain, uh, because he was now a personal advisor for both Juan Perón and Francisco Franco. Uh, of course, right? <laughs> this made him a ton of money, and his life quickly turned around. He uh, he owed so many different properties. Uh, by the time he died, nobody's entirely sure of how many he actually had in totality. Uh, we know he had an estate in Ireland. This is kind of a weird story. He was he was technically a legally stateless war criminal at this point, uh, but he had a stateless person passport, um, which is a thing that exists. Uh, he was allowed to stay in Ireland for only six weeks at a time because of local visa laws, and all of his neighbors fucking hated him. Uh, it was noted that he drove like an asshole all the time um, and parked his car like in people's front lawns. Uh, Michael Bond used to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like and like, Scorzini had so much money that the the tickets that were like a pittance, so he didn't really care. Right. Like, whatever, I'll pay him. I was whatever. And uh, like now, of course, this leads us to what could absolutely be the weirdest part of Scorzini's life, if it's true. And honestly, I could go either way on this one. And that's the time of how Otto Scorzini, SS war criminal, became a hitman for the Israeli Mossad. <laughs> You know pick a man. Coming, motherfuckers. No, I did. I read the wiki, but you know. <laughs> um, though I should point out here that Nazis working for the Israeli intelligence apparatus on the state unprecedented. It's not unheard of. And in fact, Otto Skorzeny is not even close to the worst person that nope. Israel hired. Nope. In 1949, the Mamad, which was the precursor to the Mossad, recruited a guy named Walther Rauf, yep. who was a real real motherfucker he invented nazi gas vans and was a close personal friend of reinhard heydrich and yep. he's generally thought of to be responsible for at minimum a hundred thousand deaths directly in the holocaust so yep. yeah you you understand why i'm not why uh i'm not especially pro-israeli oh you i can't imagine uh oh, though nation states were a bad idea folks I do need to point out here that while Israel wanted to work with Ralph because Ralph worked with Egypt and obviously Syria or uh, Israel and, and Egypt and Syria and all and all of the other Middle Eastern countries at the time were you know shooting at each other quite frequently um, and it was they were hoping to do um, like a double agent situation because so, sorry Ralph didn't work with uh, with uh, Egypt he worked with Syria uh, he had worked with the Syrian government and therefore had a ton of contacts they wanted to use him as a spy however they didn't work with him for very long. 
because he was an alcoholic and was to the point he could barely function. So like he was a terrible spy. Um, uh, well, he, 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 uh, again, uh, you just hang these people and, and then you use their hanged corpses in some sort of weirdo monster house. And then you make the Nazis that you haven't hanged, uh, fight their way through the, the weird ass corpse house and then when they get to the end, surprise, it's a punji pit, and then you shoot them. Leave all that in. <laughs> Leave all that in. Uh, while all of this is happening, Israel was worried about uh, the development of, Egyptian, of an Egyptian rocket program that would, uh, if it was finished, arm them with weapons that would leave Israelis, uh, you know, the possibility of Israel is Israelis winning the next war between the two of them. Pretty, pretty, pretty fucked, right? Um not to mention, Nasser had shown he was pretty comfortable deploying chemical weapons during the Yemen war. So Israel's a little worried that these rockets would then be tipped with chemical weapons and then they'd be able to be fired into population centers in the country. Uh, so they did what Israel tends to do, and that is launching an assassination campaign. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, this is targeted against. So this is this is where you get a little torn here. This is an assassination campaign specifically against former Nazis that are now helping Egypt with the missile program. So. You know, it's like uh, you, the worst person, you know, is actually right about something. <laughs> However, there was another problem on top of these former Nazi scientists, former SS intelligence agents were also working for Egypt and were killing the Israeli assassins before they could kill the scientists. So they called up Skorzeny, a man many of them were very, very familiar with. However, they didn't attempt to send Skorzeny a letter or make contact with him. But instead, they recruited him through his girlfriend, who was also already known uh, to Israel as a, not only a CIA plant, but also a French intelligence asset. Outstanding. Um, there is some doubt if Skorzeny had any idea that his girlfriend was almost certainly spying on him the entire time they were together, which they eventually got married and stayed together for the rest of his life. This is super common. Uh, Skorzeny was once remarked as being the most infiltrated man ever because <laughs> all of his friends and close associates were agents of some intelligence service and were also spying on him. Like, it's very weird. Um, I, the spycraft is interesting, but like, every, like everybody was spying on him. Everyone is the worst person you've ever met. Don't worry. Yeah. One of his girlfriend's covers was investing in tourism, right? So Israel set the head of uh, Israeli Nazi hunting teams, which is known as Amal, to make contact with her. And his cover was uh, using her to invest on uh, 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 in tourism uh, in Israel. The reason for this is for all of these different layers. Is remember, Skorzeny was very, very sure the Israelis were uh, eventually going to try to assassinate him because they had done that to a lot of other well-known Nazis after the war. Uh, so if a member of a mall simply showed up and like, hello, Otto, like it's probably going to end in a fucking gunfight. Right. Right. And then the Amal chief fucked his girlfriend. Hello, please <laughs> face the wall. Um, he pretty much honeypotted her. They kind of dated for months. Outstanding uh, work. In October 7th, 1964, after hours of drinking and doing coke in the club, an Israeli operative told her that a, quote, senior security official from Israel wanted to meet Skorzeny, her now husband, despite the fact they had been fucking for months regarding a matter of state. Uh, and it was the utmost importance that they did not care about his Nazi past. She told Skorzeny, I assume leaving out the part that the guy that she had, had as, as a side piece was also an Israeli intelligence agent. Uh, and, uh, you know, he immediately ran downstairs to meet him because I think almost certainly is like, if I work with these guys, they won't want to kill me anymore. Right. Like, I don't have to have eyes in the back of my head for a fucking Amal hit squad. As soon as Skorzeny met with the local handler, a guy named Avrahim uh, Ahituv, uh, a man uh, that would eventually become commander of the absolutely terrifying Israeli Shin Bet, uh, and he was a decorated Nazi hunter. He had, he had carried out dozens of assassinations of Nazis, and he fucking hated Skorzeny. <laughs> like, uh, Understandable. He told his government that they should just shoot him. Like, can I just shoot this guy? Um, and and as, if to, uh, as if to underline why they should have shot Scorzetti, as soon as they met, Scorzetti said something insanely anti-Semitic. Um, like, Scorz, like, and uh, uh, the Avraham, the the guy, was like, "Let's not, let's not talk about that." 
Uh, and Scorzetti just kept going, saying that the Nazis would have been powerless if all of the Jews had simply moved to Israel. And he was always amazed that, quote, Jews led all the communist parties in espionage rings. Jesus Christ, just execute this guy already. And for no other reason that he won't stop talking. <laughs> just imagine this guy again professional Nazi hunter, how hard he is grinding his teeth together and have to strangle the fucking life out of this guy. Then Scorzetti lied to the Mossad's face. Uh, remember how we talked about his previous attempt at business in Egypt, which was a miserable failure, and Scorzetti lied, painting it that he had deep ties to the country and personally knew Gamal Abdel Nasser, which he did not. But that didn't matter. What the Israelis wanted had nothing to do with his experience in Egypt, but because of his SS commando connections. Um, because the Egyptian security chief, Herman Valentin, was once one of Scorzeni's commandos. However, Scorzeni pointed out that he, that he knew him and he could turn him to work for Israel, but not directly because Valentin, as a German, could never work for Jews. <laughs> Instead, they would have to lie to them and say that Scorzeni was actually working for the CIA and then dupe them to work with Israel without them knowing, which is actually quite common at the time. Like, There's people that thought they were working for MI6 or working for the Mossad or working for the CIA, but the agents were actually from somewhere else. right? Uh, now, according to the Mossad's in-house report, Skorzeny did not ask for any money, uh, but for one small favor. Skorzeny had heard from his handler from the Amal that his memoirs had appeared in Hebrew. And he asked the Mossad to publicize this fact in order to counter the vehement Jewish objection to the publication of his work in West Germany. So, yeah, he did this for a book deal and he got it. Um, I hate Nazis, man. (laughs) Another Mossad agent said that Skorzeny also asked for an unofficial favor. Could the Mossad please request that Simon Wiesenthal, famed Nazi hunter, to remove Scorzeni's name from no, his list. No, no, keep yeah. it on there. Keep it on. Bold it. Squ- uh, 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 Wiesenthal immediately and flatly refused to ever think about doing that. And uh, Scorzeni was like, yeah, all right, I'll work with you guys anyway. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, this is how we don't catch a bullet to the head. Uh, Scorzeni met with Valentin shortly thereafter, claiming he was working with MI6, British intelligence, and uh, needed details of the Egyptian military program should a new war start. He turned out to be very easy to fool because he agreed to meet with two MI6 agents who were actually two Mossad agents pretending to be British. However, small problem here. Mossad did not even try to come up with crafting a disguise. They didn't even fake British accents. Uh, So when confronted by two men who were very clearly not British and supposedly working for MI6, Valentin decided to uh, back out. So Scorzeni deployed the old trick of getting shit-faced with a guy until he tells you uh, something he isn't supposed to. The next morning, using this information as well as some old war stories for bonding, Valentin was, uh, was more than willing to work with the MI6, who were also actually Mossad. Spycraft is fun. It's stupid, and I love it. Um, within a few months, Valentin and his handlers almost uh, ha- had handed over almost everything to the quote-unquote MI6 about the Egyptian rocket program uh, that, that he knew, giving up-to-date, authentic, and sometimes surprising material that the Mossad had no idea. For instance... The German team who were working for the Egyptians had, had can still completely failed on a working guidance system. Uh, and so Nasser was completely terrified of actually using the goddamn things, thinking that he would ac- accidentally bob like a, an Arab population center with nerve gas or whatever. So he wasn't, yeah, they were nowhere close to being complete. Now, depending on who you believe, this is where Skorzeny's Mossad employment ended. Though he remained on the books with the agency until his death in the 1970s, he never really did anything else for them. Unless you consider an old dying man meeting up with a Mossad agent every few months to drink beer and then force his handler to storm off in anger after saying some Nazi shit, which happened literally every time they met. Um, I am begging you to simply put a bullet into his skull. It is not that hard. Mossad, (laughs) you have a lot of them. You killed that waiter in Lillehammer in the 90s. You can do this. Now, there is another timeline of Skorzeny mythos, which also might be true. In 2006... Uh, Sorry. In 2016, Haaretz published an article claiming that Scorzeni had actually been more than just a Mossad agent or asset, but a full-blown hitman as a part of Operation Damocles, the otherwise you know, the Israeli assassination campaign against Nazis who worked for Egypt. The target linked to Scorzeni was a man named Heinz Krug. He was the head of a German company in Munich, which was actually acting as a shell company to send things to, send things to Egypt uh, for the rocket program, which they weren't supposed to be doing. 
Krug had previously worked in the Nazi missile program in Pinamunda and was a high-value Israeli hit list target. According to Horitz, uh, Skorzeny simply called Krug on the phone to, to talk to him as Krug had been getting tons of threatening phone calls, uh, which he correctly assumed were the work of the Mossad, trying to drive him nuts. That's something that they did quite frequently, um, hoping that he would flee. You know, uh, Skorzeny told him that, uh, look, I have a plan to keep German scientists safe and not to remember this this guy was a Nazi missile scientist at Pinamunda. He, everybody knows who Otto Skorzeny is, right? Like, oh shit, if Otto Skorzeny has a plan to keep me safe, I have to meet with him. You know, any Nazi worth his stolen gold teeth would have heard of Skorzeny and trusted him as a dedicated Nazi like themselves, or at least sympathetic. Using that as cover, Skorzeny met with him in Munich and shot him dead. Then three Mossad agents helped to dump his body in a vat of acid. Uh, once it the mostly liquefied into the the i don't know the viscera they chucked him into a pre-made grave and covered the entire thing in lime to this day krug's body has never been found oh jesus now however again there's a good chance none of this ever happened according to other people within the Mossad, they never hired Skorzeny to kill anyone and this is one of those things where it's like we wouldn't do that it was one of those like no 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 we're the Mossad. we kill people we don't need to hire right. him <laughs> right 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 uh, instead, Krug was kidnapped by Mossad agents, smuggled back to Israel, interrogated, shot, and then dumped into the sea, which is something that the Mossad really, really liked to do. Because then, you know, if you dump everybody out in the sea, no evidence. He's gone. And because but, you have your own country now, who's going to investigate you? You're the Mossad. Right. Uh, we honestly, we truly don't know which part is true. Um, and it could go either way for me. This could be the Mossad covering for the fact that they did hire a Nazi hitman. Uh, but again, like he worked, he worked for the Mossad as an asset. That that part is undeniable. What he actually did, if it was more than the miss- missile program, we we have no idea. Uh, and I highly doubt the Mossad is going to uh, suddenly become a, an well, open so, and transparent it, institution. Right. You know. Um, now, as the 1960s turned into the 1970s, Skorzeny's spy life came to an end. Though he did remain intimately involved in far right circles all throughout European politics. The man was fully and totally an unrepentant Nazi and was very public with this fact. But on the bright side, in 1970, he was diagnosed with cancer in his spine. So good. He nearly killed him. Uh, He looked like absolute shit. And he eventually had an operation to remove the tumor from his spine, which left him paralyzed from the waist down. The doctor said that he would never walk again. But uh, Skorzeny is nothing if not determined. And he got himself to walk within the next couple months. Um Outside of that, he refused any treatment for the cancer that was absolutely not gone and went about his life for several more years, again, despite the fact that doctors only told him he had a couple months to live. Unfortunately, he's one of those motherfuckers who just refused to die. Um, in, in February 1975, while giving an interview with Spanish media, he was still preaching Nazi bullshit, leading to a guy that was, wa- that was uh, like just watching the interview live. Uh, walked up to him as he was leaving a radio station and beat the shit out of him with a club. <laughs> After this, he spiraled into a pit of paranoia, assuming that this guy worked for the Mossad and they finally came for him because obviously when the Mossad comes to assassinate you, they send a Spanish guy with a club. Um, but uh, this led to him pretty much drinking all, all the time. And occasionally whenever he heard the wind blowing outside of his door, he'd fire his gun wildly through the walls of his house. Okay. Uh, <laughs> assuming that Simon Wiesenthal was finally coming for his scalp. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> A few months later in July, he, he became bedridden and died, finally, at the age of 67. His uh, CIA French intelligence asset slash honeypot wife who fucked, his way into, who fucked her way into Mossad employment was at his side the entire time. We love true love stories, folks. <laughs> God damn it. Hey, hey, different strokes for different folks. And sometimes those different strokes are for the local Mossad agent. <laughs> um. After he died, hundreds of people attended his funeral to include people in Nazi dress uniform, tossed up the old Hitler salute and sang some Nazi songs for old time's sake. But fuck him. He's dead. Rest in piss, you Nazi bitch. The end. Um, <laughs> that is the tale of Otto Skorzeny. Liam, how do you, how do you feel after listening for to three hours of, about a Nazi? Just, just hang these people. Just fucking hang these people. You don't listen. They're Nazis. You don't need to give them a trial. Not even a show trial. You say, can you please face the wall? And you get a 45 out. And you put 
And then what you do is, again, you make the Nazis fight their way through Corpse House. And then at the end, they just get stabbed through with fucking bayonets. Corpse House just sounds like a uh, like a very intricate haunted house. Yeah, no, it is a haunted house. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm 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 making the Nazis shit themselves right until they get bayoneted. Outstanding, Liam. We do a thing on this show uh, called Questions from the Legion, where if you support the show, you can write us on Patreon, and we will answer your question on air. And this one is of all of the military formations that you've ever talked about. Which one of them would do the best during a zombie apocalypse? Honestly, unfortunately, I feel like Scorzeni would probably be fine. Like <laughs> the, the guy refuses to fucking die. Uh, yeah. So it's the, uh, um, I, I also think that after reading World War Z, the book, which is good, not the movie, which is bad, um, is very bad. Uh, that a Roman legion would be quite good. I was uh, kind of thinking a legion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about resupplying with bullets. You know, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, their shields protect them quite well. The the leather they wear, you're not gonna be able to bite through that. Um, I, I feel like a Roman legion would probably be the the, the, the best. Or Otto Scorzeni. So I'm going. <laughs> I am going with the Roman legion. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, Liam, yeah. plug your shows. Theater screw it. Ten thousand losses. Well, there's your problem. Go listen to them. Listen, listen to them. If you like what we do here, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you like this show. Maybe consider supporting us. You could have got this episode early, uh, and as well as the rest of the series. You get bonus episodes, um, some of which are ongoing series. You get uh, access to our Discord, uh, all sorts of other stuff. So consider supporting the show and uh, helping us moving forward. If not, that's fine. It's your money. We're not going to tell you how to spend it. But leaving a review is free, and it helps us for algorithmic-based reasons I'm not entirely sure of. So leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to and that helps us a lot uh everybody liam thank you for joining me once again uh and until next time nazis get spine cancer